2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. Now, if we are afflicted, it's for your consolation and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or if we are comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope for you is steadfast, because we know that as you are partakers of the sufferings, so also you will partake of the consolation. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God, who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death, and does deliver us, in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. You also helping together in prayer for us, that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf, for the gift granted to us through many. So that gives us the context of what we're talking about. We won't cover all these verses this morning. We saw in verse 3 that our God is to be praised for the fact that He is the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. God gives comfort to His people in difficult times and difficult circumstances. He encourages us by His Word and by His Spirit when we are downcast that is, brought low with grief or depressed. Uh, Christians do have to deal with depression and being downcast at times. And in 2 Corinthians 7, 6, Paul will talk about uh, how he comforts the downcast and he comforted him by the coming of Titus. We'll see that. In verse 4 then, Paul says that God comforts us in some of our tribulation. Oh, I did it again. He comforts us in all of our tribulation. The context here is the trouble that they had in Asia where they despaired even of life itself. This is tribulation. You know, and Paul, of course, he'll recount through this book many things that he experienced as tribulation. And they are all examples for us. Situations, things in which we will be comforted by God. Tribulation means trouble, pressure, anguish, affliction, distress, those sorts of things. The same word is used in relation to the Great Tribulation, that seven-year period at the end of this age that is prophesied to be worse than any other time in world history. And I think it must be getting close by the way the world is spinning out of control. But of course, there are lesser tribulations than the Great Tribulation, my tribulation, and your tribulation. In John 16:33, Jesus, after you know, right before his prayer, after spending a few chapters ministering to his apostles, he says in John 16:33, "These things I've spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, or take courage. I have overcome the world." Jesus counsels us to be of good cheer or good courage in the midst of troubles. 
As James writes later in James chapter 1 and verse 2, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Trials and tribulation are a feature of the Christian life, not a bug. You know, when you're, you're talking in terms of software, there are bugs in software, right? And sometimes people think that one of the features of the software is a bug. Tribulation in the Christian life is a feature. It's not a bug. You know, people get upset sometimes about uh, gridlock in Washington. They don't realize gridlock is a feature. It's not a bug. It was intended to be that way so that evil men could not just do anything they wanted. There were checks and balances that took place. We do not ask for tribulation. We may ask God to take it away or to keep it away. Paul himself asked God to remove his thorn in the flesh. We're to pray that we not be led into temptation and to be delivered from the evil one. Matthew 6.13 Temptation can be tribulation. Nonetheless, there will be times when we experience tribulation. There are times when we will be in suffering. As someone has pointed out, there are ten basic words for suffering in the Greek language. And Paul used five of them in this letter. The most frequently used word is slippus. I'm sorry, slipsis. Kind of what I was going T-H-L-I-P-S-I-S. <laughs> Which means narrow, confined, under pressure. And in, in this letter, it's translated different ways. Affliction, 2 Corinthians 2.4 and 4.17. Tribulation here in uh, this verse, 4, 2 Corinthians 1.4. And trouble in 2 Corinthians 1.4 and 1.8. So it's used twice in this verse. Paul felt hemmed in by difficult circumstances, narrow circumstances, and the only way he could look was up. When we're under pressure, hemmed in by trouble, surrounded on every side, the only place to look is up. There's no other place to find help. This is where our comfort and deliverance can be found. If we are to receive the comfort God has for us, we must look away from the trouble and up to the Lord. We can become so focused on our troubles that we forget to look to the only one who has promised to care for us. But as James said of joy in trials, Paul also says in Romans chapter 5, it's a feature, not a bug. Verse 1, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Okay, you can just stop writing there, Paul. That's that's great. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. And he tells us why. Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. That's what James said. Patience. In true faith, tribulation produces perseverance. Otherwise, it produces stumbling. As we read in Matthew 13 in the parable of the sower. Trouble comes and they depart. They don't want anything to do with it. But in true faith, tribulation produces perseverance, steadfastness, character, and character produces hope. 
Hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. God has a purpose in tribulation. It's not an accident. We are promised trouble in this world. It's a promise. We don't like to claim that one. It's not in your promise book. You know, you find a promise book. It's usually not in there. It says, in the world you shall have tribulation. Well, the good, the part about peace and good cheer, that's, that's a promise as well. The Lord will supply that. We rejoice, and we rejoice in faith, by the way, because we know God only allows it because it is good for us. It is part of His eternal rewards program. You're probably involved in some rewards programs. This is part of God's eternal rewards program. It's part of His makeover program by which He molds us into the image of His dearly beloved Son. This we know by faith because He has told us so in His Word. It's not seen with the eyes of the flesh. Especially when the trouble comes. We're given the promise or warning of trouble so that we might be prepared for it and not be wiped out by the fact that it has come. In Acts chapter 14, verse 21, Paul's uh, speaking about, he's, he's been in Derby, and he was stoned previously at, at Lystra, just not too long before. And in verse 21, it says, When they had preached the gospel to that city, Derby, and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, you know, I probably would have diverted around Lystra. You know. Strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. So when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. In First Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 3 and 4, uh, Paul writing to this New church, really, even at the time he was writing this letter, he says that no one should be shaken by these afflictions. He's talking about his afflictions and their afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. Now, could I get another appointment? Lord, I'd like to change my appointment. You know, turn it okay. For in fact, we told you before when we were with you that we would suffer tribulation just as it happened. And you know. Trusting in His words to us, we are able to have His peace, like someone in the eye of the storm. God's consolation does not necessarily, and I would say not usually, mean the removal of the trouble. It is His presence in the midst of the tribulation that brings His peace. The exhortation of Jesus to peace and good cheer or courage is based on the guarantee of His victory. He has overcome the world, and the world is a major source of tribulation. He is greater than all possible troubles. We know the end. We know the good intentions of the Lord. We know the victory of the Lord. The enemy means it for evil, but the Lord for our good. In 1 John chapter 4 and verse 4, John says, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them. He's speaking of the false prophets who have come in. You are of God, little children. You've overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. He who is in the world is the devil. Right? He who's in you is greater than he who's in the world. Over in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4, it says, he says, well, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. 
This is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Now at this point, I'm tempted to say, God, you obviously have me confused with someone of greater faith. There's a story uh, that Corey Tinboom tells when she was thinking about death and she was just a little girl at this point. And Daddy, she had said one day, I'm afraid that I will never be strong enough to be a martyr for Jesus Christ. Father sat down on the edge of the narrow bed. Corey, he began gently, when you and I go to Amsterdam, when we, when do I give you your ticket? I sniffed a few times considering this. Why, just before we get on the train. Exactly. And our wise Father in Heaven knows when we're going to need things too. Don't run out ahead of Him, Corey. Running out ahead of the Lord is a source of needless suffering and distress. Papa Tinboom was so wise. You know, that book in my father's house. And Don't run out ahead of Him, Corey. When the time comes that some of us will have to die, you will look into your heart and find the strength you need just in time because the Spirit is inside. Now, I don't like suffering. I'm not a good sufferer. I'm kind of wimpy. I'm a wimp when it comes to suffering. You know. Of course, we know that the emphasis is never upon the magnitude of our faith, but upon the ability of the one in whom we place our faith. We do not trust in our faith. We trust in the Lord. The Lord is able. He can do all things. We trust Him for His goodness and for His power, His character, His ability to do anything. And so, if it comes to the point where we suffer, where we're in tribulation, and I know many of us have been, as Steve prayed, just with suffering from the curse, from the fall, experiencing chronic illnesses and so forth, when those times come, then the Lord will supply His grace. We don't get it before we need it. We get it when it's needed. So we walk by faith in the grace that we have for today. His grace is always sufficient for our needs, but He does not give it ahead of the need. He gives it for the moment of need. In Romans chapter 8, verse 35, Paul asks some questions. He says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. And he's speaking there particularly of the apostles, but it, it can be applied to all of us. He says in verse 37, Yet in all these things, the things he just listed, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing. Nothing in creation. He made all those things. Shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Later in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul speaking of his sufferings, once again he states in verse 16, Therefore, we do not lose heart because he's, he's spoken earlier about we have this treasure in earthen vessels and all the things he's been suffering. He says, therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, 
we'll see many of the afflictions Paul went through himself. And you may be going through affliction. He says our light affliction. And this is a comparison statement. He's not saying it's not serious. Not a, not a big problem, maybe. Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, very short period of time, you say, well, I've been suffering my whole life and I'm going to suffer till I die and I'll probably live to be 150. It's just for a moment in comparison to what's coming. He says, our light affliction, which affliction, which is for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. So you got the lightness of our affliction and the weight of the glory that God is, has prepared for us. Exceeding, eternal. He says, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. How we get tied up with the temporary. Only seeing as far as the next moment. We learn from those who have gone before us to look ahead while looking up. In Hebrews 11.13, speaking of those uh, up till the time of Abraham and, and Sarah, it says, uh, 11.13, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them. How did they see them afar off? Just by what God had said. What God had told Abraham. No doubt he passed on to others. Having seen them afar off, were assured of them. So they saw them with the eyes of faith, not with their physical eyes. They embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Like them, we look to the future, to the fullness of the promises. It's in the future that our hope lies. In the soon return of the Lord Jesus to redeem our bodies from the curse. We have not yet received all the promises. We enjoy life in the Lord now. We work for the kingdom but we keep our eyes on the prize. We keep our treasure in heaven so that our hearts might reside there also. We look to the reward. In Hebrews chapter 11, later on in verse 24, speaking of Moses, it says, By faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. He chose affliction. Esteeming the reproach of Christ, being identified with Him and people rejecting you because they're rejecting Christ. He esteemed the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for He looked to the reward. And literally, He kept looking away to the reward. He'd see the treasures, but He's looking away, looking to the reward. God comforts us in all our tribulation. God may provide comfort to us in different ways. There were times when God provided comfort to Paul by the coming of news of how the churches were doing. Paul had a great concern for the welfare of the churches that he was privileged to begin. Later in 2 Corinthians in chapter 11 and verse 28, again he recounts many of his tribulations. He says in verse 28, besides the other things, which he just listed, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. Paul had this burden that he carried for the churches. And Paul was comforted in this very situation by the words of Titus when they finally connected. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 4. Paul writes, Great is my boldness of speech toward you. Great is my boasting on your behalf. I am filled with comfort. This, 
all these things he's going through. I'm filled with comfort. I am exceedingly joyful in all in all our tribulation. For indeed, when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts, inside were fears. Apostles aren't supposed to have any fears. But Paul is, you know, he's being clear and honest. He's not saying he didn't have the comfort of God because God did comfort him. But outside were conflicts, inside were fears. Nevertheless, God, who comforts the downcast, the scripture I mentioned earlier, comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the consolation, that's one of forms of our same word for comfort, with which he was comforted in you when he told us of your earnest desire, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. So Paul had been troubled, not knowing how the Corinthians received his previous letter. He was concerned about their welfare. If they did not welcome what he had written in his authority as an apostle, it would not bode well for them. He was somewhat anxious to know the state of affairs, and he was comforted by God through the report of Titus that things were well. Similarly, when Paul was forced to leave the infant church of Thessalonica because of persecution, he was without rest until he knew how the church was faring. It's in First Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 5-7. through 7, It says, For this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you and our labor might be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you, and brought us good news of your faith and love, and that you always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us, as we also to see you. Therefore, brethren, in all our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning your faith. Similarly, God may provide comfort to us by news that we receive concerning those that we care about. He may comfort us through circumstances in which his hand is revealed to be at work. He may comfort us through answer to prayer or a report of victory in the face of trial or persecution. There is great encouragement in the reports of our brothers and sisters who are standing strong in the face of opposition, hostility, and persecution even today. God will always comfort us by the presence of His Holy Spirit within our hearts. He's the comforter or helper sent by God to bring God's presence to us at all times. As Jesus said, he shall be with you forever, John 14:16. In Acts 9:31, at the end of the chapter, there's Paul's conversion and then other things are happening. And then they send Paul away to Tarsus. In verse 31, it says, Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Those two things go together, the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. They were multiplied. God comforts us at times in circumstances. He comforts us by the presence of His Spirit. God also comforts us through His Word to us. In Psalms 119, verse 49, probably be hard to get there in time. <laughs> Remember the word to your servant upon which you have caused me to hope. This is my comfort in my affliction. For your word has given me life, clinging to the words of the Lord in times of affliction. We're comforted by God's truth 
a solid foundation upon which to build our lives. John 8.31, Jesus speaking to the Jews says, to those Jews who believed in Him, if you abide in My Word, and that doesn't just mean having, you know, reading it a lot, but continuing in His Word, following, being obedient. If you abide in My Word, you're My disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. I don't know if any of you have seen uh, Matt Walsh's new um, documentary, I guess it is, called What is a Woman? <laughs> I haven't seen it, but I've seen some excerpts from it. Uh, you know, you have to subscribe to see the whole thing. I'm already subscribed to too many things. You, you can get subscribed nickel and dime to death, you know, with today's Internet stuff and all that. But anyway, nothing but good reports on it, but, but a couple of things in it that I saw in the excerpts, there were at least two different people he interviewed he would start talking to him, asking him what is a woman, and then he would he meant he used the word truth. And they were like, "Oh, I'm getting uncomfortable with this conversation, you know." And uh, one of them would say, "Well, what, you know, what if this is your truth, you know, kind of thing? Truth is only what God says. It's that is the truth." But um, in our world today, in our nation today. You know, can't even answer the question, what's a woman? You know, we got a Supreme Court justice. She's not sitting yet, but she couldn't answer that question. Why? Because she's not a biologist. That was her answer. I mean, how can she decide cases on any situation because she's not whatever that person is? Well, I'm not a florist. I can't de- decide a case on florism. Florist. <laughs> Our situation is described in Romans 1.22. Professing to be wise, they became fools. And it is. It's total foolishness. Total, complete, bizarre foolishness. And it will destroy. It is destroying and it will destroy. It will continue to destroy. John 17.17, Jesus praying says, Sanctify them by your truth, praying for the apostles. Your word is truth. And then Hebrews chapter 6, verses 17 and 18, the promise of God being spoken of. He says, Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of His counsel. His counsel can't be changed. He confirmed it by an oath that by two unchangeable things, immutable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie. He, he you know, has the oath that's unchangeable. He can't lie. That's unchangeable. So two unchangeable things. We might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. This consolation is our word, periclesis. Comfort. God's Word is is abundantly filled with promises for us. And those promises are a great comfort to us in our troubles. For we know that God always, always, always keeps His promises. You can put as many always in there as you want. And it will be true. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, later in this chapter, verse 20. Paul says, For all the promises of God in Him are yes and in Him. Amen to the glory of God through us. 
Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God, who also has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Over in Romans chapter 15 and verse 4, Paul says, Whatever things were written before were written for our learning. And he told us the same thing in 1 Corinthians. Those things that were written before, he says, of course, he's referring to the Old Testament things that were written before. Now we can say the things that are written in the Old Testament and the New Testament, those are things that were written before for our learning, that we, through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. Patient in trusting in the Word of the Lord, and we're comforted by the Scriptures. Scriptures are a source of comfort for us. We must be in the Scriptures if we're to have their comfort. And he says in verse 5, Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore receive one another, just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. By the Scriptures we know the character of God, the goodness of God, and the kindness and tender mercies of God. We know His thoughts toward us are for our good. Jeremiah 29.11, famous verse that you know, no doubt. For I know the thoughts that I have toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Jeremiah is saying this in the midst of a message. The book is just full of judgment that's coming. But God's desire for them, or His thoughts are for peace, not for evil, that they might have a future and a hope. In James chapter 5 and verse 10, James says, My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the deliverance or the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. The Lord's intent. As we read Job, we might wonder what his intent was. Uh, the end intended by the Lord is that He might show His compassion and mercy. Because we know who our God is, because we know that He desires nothing but our good and will work most all things toward the end, that end. Well, he will work all things toward that end. Romans 8.28 We can take great comfort in His Word to us, the self-revelation of His person. We see the end intended by the Lord. And ask yourself, can his intentions ever be thwarted? Can the intentions of the Lord ever be thwarted? We see the end intended by the Lord. And we see it at the end of chapter 3 of this book that we started studying. Second Corinthians 3.18 We all with unveiled face are beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. That mirror that we look into is the Word of God. Are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory even as by the Spirit of the Lord. So the Spirit's taking the Word, using the Word, and transforming us over a course of time into the image of the Son of God. This is the love of God, the grace of God, the purpose of the sovereign God who works all things according to the counsel of His own will, according to Ephesians 1.11. Take comfort, dear ones, in the Word of God. What a tremendous source of comfort it is. Also in verse 4, Paul tells us the purpose of our comfort from the Lord, it is so that we may be able to comfort others. Whatever comfort we receive from God is not only for ourselves, it's to be shared with others who believe. 
Someone has said, we are not comforted to be comfortable, but to be comfortors. So it's not just that, you know, and, and we can get comfortable by the comfort that God gives. That's not a bad thing. You know, we're comfortable in Him as He comforts us. But that's not the end uh, plan, the end of the plan. It's that we might be comforters. We are not comforted to be comfortable, but to be comforters. God's comfort is given to be shared, not hoarded. We don't want to be like Job's friends. In Job 16, verses uh, 2 and 3, Job says, I've heard many such things after they've been talking for a few chapters. Miserable comforters are you all. We don't want to have that testimony. (laughs) Shall words of wind have an end? Or what provokes you that you answer? Words of condemnation and accusation are not a comfort. Remember, to comfort is to come alongside to help. Those things in which we have received comfort, help from God, are the things in which we can help others because we have this first-hand experience. We all have different experiences, but we have first-hand experiences of the things that we have gone through. And so when we encounter somebody, and it doesn't necessarily even have to be the same thing, but when we encounter somebody that's gone through something where our experience can apply, or the comfort we receive from the Lord, then we can offer that comfort. In 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 through 18, Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. That's the rapture. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. These were words that they were to comfort one another with in regard to their loved ones who had already passed away. They were to comfort one another with these words of God, with the truth of God concerning their believing loved ones who had passed away and their future hope. All indications in our world are that a time of unprecedented trouble is coming. Things we have not seen in our lifetimes. I believe we're nearing that time which will be unprecedented suffering for the world. God's wrath will be poured out upon unbelieving mankind and especially the descendants of Jacob, so that they will be in a position in which God will be able to fulfill for them the promises he gave to their fathers. When they cry out, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and he's able to comfort them. But God has assured us that we will not be subject to his wrath poured out on an unbelieving, rebellious, reprobate world. First Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 9, Paul tells them, For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you also are doing. We can comfort one another that we are not appointed to the wrath of God. It's extremely comforting that we're not appointed to God's wrath, but to salvation. The church will not be here for the tribulation period, which will come upon all who live on the earth. 
But that does not mean that we may not experience a considerable increase in trouble before the Lord comes for us. We don't know the day or the hour in which he will snatch us out of danger. It's possible that we will experience the persecution that many of our brothers and sisters around the world have dealt with for many years. But God is faithful. He will sustain us. He will keep us. He will deliver us. He will comfort us in whatever comes. It is important, however, that we be prepared spiritually so that we may, quote, be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand, Ephesians 6.13. You can read that passage and see the way in which we're to prepare spiritually. It's got the pieces of armor there that we are to put on. I'm not predicting anything. I'm not a prophet. The Lord could take us out of here today. Come quickly, Jesus. But if he tarries, I believe there are darker days ahead. We are seeing the preliminaries now. This may be temporary. There may be temporary reprieves. I think we had one in the you know late teens of this century or the last decade. There may be temporary reprieves. The Lord is long-suffering and merciful. Or it may be increasingly downhill from here on out. He has our times in His hands. If we trust in Him, we won't be ashamed or disappointed in any way. We're seeing so much in world developments that are prophesied for the last days of the age. From the World Economic Forum's Great Reset, those who are these unelected, that is, dictatorial, one-world leadership, they're being endorsed by many prominent leaders of the world. To the radical leftists in our country, from from the WF to the radical leftists, it's trouble everywhere. When I say radical leftists in our own country, I'm not taught, making a political statement. No, it's not political, it's spiritual. There's a spiritual darkness on the far left that, well, the mindset of Psalms 2 is prevalent in this overall in the world. And, you know, that doesn't mean people on the, to the right of the spectrum are saved or anything of that sort. It's only one way to come to the Lord, and that's, that's through the Lord Jesus. So many people on the right who have good morals and, and know what right and wrong is, they might think that they're cool because of that, but they're not if they haven't bowed the knee, if they haven't confessed. Psalm 2, verses 2 and 3 tells us the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, that's Christ, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast their cords from us. This is the mindset of the world today. They don't want anything to do with Him. It's a futile effort to cast His cords away. But it will bring about maximum misery for any who follow that path. And any who get in their way will be attacked and eliminated. Coming back to our idea of comfort here, Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. He says, Brethren, if a man's overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. This is a way of providing comfort to another. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Some of us don't want anyone else bearing our burdens. 
And we miss out on the comfort of the Lord that He gives us through others. In Genesis chapter 37, after Joseph was sold into slavery and his cloak was covered with goat's blood and presented to Jacob, and so Jacob was sure that that Joseph was dead. In verse 35 of Genesis 37, it says, All his sons and his daughters arose to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, For I shall go down into the grave to my son in mourning. And thus his father wept for him, for Joseph. You know, there's one point in the narrative where Jacob says, All these things are against me. And yet they weren't. (laughs) He was seeing what he saw and indeed... It was a logical conclusion to say all these things are against me, but God was working behind the scenes. All these things were actually working for him. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, the writer says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is his flesh, we can come into his very presence, Having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us excuse me, hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. All good exhortations. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting, this is the word parakaleo, which is related to our comfort word, translating consolation in some places or comfort. It also can be translated encourage, and I think that's probably the best thing here, as is the manner of some, but exhorting, encouraging one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching, coming alongside to help and encouraging one another to stay involved in the gatherings together. In closing, Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, Paul uh, gives them benediction. It says, Now may the, Lord of, uh, may the Lord Jesus Christ Himself and our God and Father who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation, paraclesis, and good hope by grace. Comfort, parakaleo, your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. He's given us everlasting consolation, comfort. And He's comforting us, our hearts. He's establishing us in every good word and work. Everyone in the world has trouble. We've been promised trouble as Christians. But everyone in the world has trouble. It's a fallen world. It's a cursed world. It's a corruptible and perishable world. It's a world that defies its creator. It's a world that's passing away. So everyone has tribulation, believer and non-believer alike. But only the believer has the comfort from God in the midst of the trouble and an eternal inheritance waiting beyond the door of death or the rapture. The tribulation experienced by the one who does not believe in Jesus ends with the wrath of God, something that is never a part of the tribulation of the saints. The wrath of God is never a part of your trouble. Thus, the tribulation the saints endure is insignificant 
in comparison with the tribulation of those who do not believe in the end that they will will come to you. Let's pray. Lord, again, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You this, for this letter from Paul that You, Your very Spirit, moved upon him to write. We have Your words, Lord, and not just His words, but the words that You chose for Him to put on that page. We thank You, Lord, for the comfort it provides and so, so much through this book as we will see Your hand moving, Your Spirit moving in ways to comfort us, to deliver us, to fulfill all Your promises to us. And we thank You, Lord. We thank You in Jesus' name. Amen.